0: And if you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to grab it. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. Brand new series of messages that we're starting today called Powerhouse. And I'm looking forward to talking about. Uh, the family and the home and what it looks like to uh, build our lives and build our homes for the glory of God and to experience God's power within the home. And so Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, that Bible is our gift to you. And uh, we hope that you will be able to take that and use it and read it on a daily basis. Genesis chapter 2 today, We're going to start reading in verse number 18. If you are ready, would you say amen? Amen. The Bible says this in verse number 18 of Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Everybody say, not good. good. It is not good that a man should be alone. And I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now. Everybody say, this. Yes. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked naked the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Today I want to speak to this subject for a few minutes, fix your foundation, fix your foundation. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together and to lift up your name. God, thank you that we have your word that we can look to to. Uh, find the words of life. And God, I pray that as we look to your word today, that we would find encouragement and edification and exhortation. And Lord, I pray that we can be sharpened in our personal lives today. I pray that our marriages can be sharpened, and I pray that our homes can be built up for your glory. And we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said... How many of you enjoy watching HGTV? Anybody like that? HGTV uh, people in the room today? And uh, uh, in our household, we occasionally watch HGTV, and there's something fun about watching a home go through the renovation process, especially if you are not the one paying for it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let's watch somebody else make all the mistakes and and, uh, and see how that goes. But I've noticed a trend when watching these renovation-type Shows is that uh, they typically find a house that has a lot of problems, right? Uh, there's electrical problems and there's, you know, termite damage and there's a lot of things wrong with the house. But there's one thing that if you are an inspector or you're a buyer uh, that you want to make sure that you look out for is that the house does not have a faulty foundation, right? If the house has a faulty foundation, And that's probably a red flag and a warning that you should look elsewhere, right? And I was reading recently, back in 2008, uh, there was a group of construction workers who were working on this project, in uh, South Texas, in South Pedro Island, off the southern border of Texas. And they were planning to build what was called the Ocean Tower. I believe we have a picture this morning. This was the plan. And uh, they were excited to build these luxurious condominiums with ocean views, ocean front property. And uh, they started building that property. But within a year, they already had to uh, encounter, they encountered some problems within a year. And uh, they discovered that the soil beneath the surface was expanding. There was uh, foundation problems. And so the building started to tilt and then uh, shortly after that they had to completely uh, demolish this uh, building and uh, it came to a collapse because there was a foundation problem. I I believe that so many families are failing to experience God's power in their homes because they have not yet learned to build upon the right foundation. So often, uh, we are building our homes on the wrong foundation. We're building our homes on uh, what is uh, going to bring us happiness. And as long as I'm happy, then that's the thing that I'm going to pursue. As long as my kids are happy, that's what I'm going to pursue. Some people build their homes and their families on success. As long as we are successful, then we're going to be good. And as long as my kids are getting good grades, as long as they go to a great college, uh, then we are going to be good. Some people build their their homes and their families on the ever-changing current of the culture. And hey, whatever culture is saying and whatever is popular uh, in the day and age in which we're living, uh, that's how I'm going to form uh, my home, rather than building our homes on the foundation of God's word. Now, Jesus, he talked about foundation, and he said this in Luke chapter 6. Everybody with me this morning? Luke 6, he says, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, so if you hear the words of Jesus, but then you actually take it a step further and do them, he says, "This is what that's like." He says, "I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep. And uh, by the way, uh, building a strong foundation is a beneath the surface project. Not a lot of people are going to see uh, you putting forth the effort, right? It's a beneath the surface project. Dig deep and laid the foundation." On a rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon it, upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. I believe that the future of your family is contingent upon the strength of your foundation. And what we need today is to learn to uh, build on the rock of Jesus Christ. Now, now, as a society and as a culture, we are drifting from a biblical standard. Uh, We are drifting from biblical instruction. And rather than looking to the Bible and looking to God's word to decipher and to determine what a strong family should look like, we are looking elsewhere. And now in our culture and society, we are talking about uh, dismantling and and, uh, disabling the nuclear family and and redefining terms and redefining definitions, and we are uh, constructing our own ideas of what marriage should look like and our own ideas of what the family should look like rather than looking to God's word and what God has prescribed for us. And the results are devastating. The Bible, uh, excuse me, in 2018, uh, 62% of children placed in foster care were removed from their homes due to abusive neglect, totaling over 160,000 children. According to this article, at least one in seven children in the United States have experienced child abuse in the last year. We are experiencing a problem when it comes to the family and the home in our culture. We have to recognize that the devil wants nothing more than to dismantle, to distort our view of what the family should look like. And the world is trying to come up with uh, their own solutions, right? I was reading recently that in Japan uh, there is a business that's called Rent a Family Business, and this is an actual profitable business in Japan where if you do not have a family or if you don't like your family, you can actually pay a hired actor to show up with you at social gatherings and events just to kind of fill that space to make it look like you have everything together, right? And in Japan, they just say, hey, just fake it till you make it when it comes to the family, right? But the Bible has a better prescription. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 24, verse number three, through wisdom, everybody say wisdom, through wisdom is a house builded. And so we build our house based on not man's philosophy, but on the wisdom of God's word. And by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers or the rooms be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And I love this because if you build your home on the foundation of God's word, and if you seek wisdom that is from above, then every chamber, every room in your house can be filled with joy. It can be filled with value. It can be filled with purpose. You can find a peace that passes all understanding, not through the philosophy of man, but through the wisdom of God's word. Does anybody believe today that we ought to start looking to God's word to decipher and to determine what? what the home should look like. The Bible talks so often about a strong foundation, and I just want to encourage somebody today to not build your home and to build your values based on the uh, drift of culture, but to build your home on the foundation and the rock that is Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. He is our cornerstone. He is our solid rock. And so when the winds of life come and when the storms come, we can stand strong and have stability even in those seasons. Fix your foundation. We have to have the right foundation. Now, uh, this morning we come to Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2 is called a passage of primary reference. And it's called a passage of primary reference because it is the first time that this idea of marriage is articulated. A passage of primary reference means that this is the first time uh, an idea is talked about in Scripture. And so, when you fast forward to the New Testament... Several different times the authors will circle back to Genesis chapter 2 in reference to marriage because this is a passage of primary reference. And so we see that Genesis 2 is is actually the foundation uh, of what a marriage should look like. In the Garden of Eden, God's perfect environment, how did God establish and design the home and design marriage? Well, uh, the Bible says in Genesis 131, it says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Everybody say, very good. God took a look at creation and he said, behold, it is very good. But then a few verses later in chapter 2 in verse number 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good. Okay, so in the perfect environment, God says, well, there's actually one thing that's not good. What is the one thing that's not good? It is not good that the man should be alone. And so what God is saying is, even though this environment is perfect and there's lush vegetation and it's beautiful, man needs relationship. Can I just remind you today that God has created us for community, that God has called us to do life together. And God said, hey, I'm recognizing and Adam is recognizing that he needs relationship and he needs to live in the context of community. And so this morning we're going to look to Genesis chapter 2 and this is a base camp for all things marriage, okay? And we're going to talk about how to build a strong foundation when it comes to our marriages. Would that be okay this morning? I want to give us three things that must take place if we are going to fix our foundation. Number one is this, individualism must be rejected individualism must be rejected. Isolation must be rejected. Notice verse number 18. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles ready today and open. Uh, We're going to refer back to this passage many times. Uh, Verse 18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Uh, God says, It is not good that man should be alone. Now think about that statement for a moment. This is the Garden of Eden. This is God's creation. This is God's perfect environment. I mean, there were no taxes, there was no smog, there was, uh, this was a beautiful, great environment, but God said there's one thing that's not good, it's that man is alone. Now, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that the individual matters, that God loves every single person, and that we are to love every individual, and we are to love every single person. But if we make life all about me, all about uh, what I can do, then we are drifting far from the plan that God designed. Uh, Mark Dever said this, in this past century, Christians have all but ignored Biblical teaching on the corporate nature of following Christ. Our church is anew awash in self-centered narcissism, hyper-individualism. Jesus never intended us to be Christians alone and that our love for others who aren't just like us is to be taken to be indicative of whether we truly love God. And so God did not call us to live a narcissistic, hyper-individualistic lifestyle and to walk in isolation. He's called us to walk in community and to recognize that life is not about me, it's about we. We. And how God has created us to walk in harmony. Now, if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna reject this hyper individualism, which is all about what I want, we have to do two things. First, we have to recognize our need. We have to recognize our need. Notice it in verse number 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And don't, don't you love how God gave Adam that assignment to name all the animals? How many of you would have enjoyed that job? I would have enjoyed that job. I think Adam did a great job, right? When I see a hippopotamus, it looks like a hippopotamus, right? And uh, he did a great job. He was naming the animals. He was having a great time. Verse 20. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But watch this. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And so Adam is out accomplishing his assignment. He's naming all the animals. But he notices something. There's not someone like me. All these animals have a partner. They have a pair, and they have others that look like them and and are like them. But I do not have something in my life that resembles that. He recognized his need, that he was walking alone. And God did not intend for us to live in isolation. Now, I want you to know that there is a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude can be used for your benefit. Uh, solitude can actually develop you but isolation can destroy you see solitude is when we say i'm going to take some time to be by myself to focus on god's word to pray to be sharpened uh, to grow in my walk with god it's for a set time and i know i'm going to come back that's solitude isolation is you know what i'm tired of being hurt by people i'm tired of people uh, mistreating me and so i'm going to walk over here and i'm just going to be by myself and i'm going to do life all on my own and we become very individualistic See, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Uh, One author, Richard Foster, he said this, Loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. Ecclesiastes says this, Two are better than one two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor for if they fall the one will lift up his fellow but woe to him that is alone when he falleth for he hath not another to help him up see solomon in all of his wisdom understood and recognized hey you better be walking in community you better be walking in partnership and in relationship because if you fall and if you fall into temptation if you are struggling in life and you are all alone there will not be there someone to help you up can i tell you today that we need each other and that that we are better together and we need each other in a small group. We need each other on the dream team. We need each other on Sunday. We need each other every day of the week because that's the way that God designed us hardwired for community. Now, when it comes to marriage, that does not mean that it's God's will for everyone to be married. We know that Jesus uh, was not married. The Apostle Paul was not married. But the very premise of Genesis chapter 2, we learn that we are hardwired for community. It is not good that man should be alone. And so we have to recognize our need. But then secondly, we have to rely on God to meet that need. So we recognize the need, but then we rely on God to meet the need. I want you to see how it happened for Adam. Are you still with me? Notice verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And so Adam... Goes to sleep, okay? He takes a nap. God caused this to happen. So so who caused Adam to sleep? God, there you go. Okay, so God caused Adam to sleep, to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And so God is about to provide Adam a wife. He puts him to sleep. But I want you to see who brings this to fruition. It was God. See, Adam recognized his need when he was naming the animals. There's no one like me. He recognized his need. But then God was the one to fulfill that desire. Can I tell you today that God will never awaken a desire in your life that he is not prepared to fulfill in his way, in his time? God God will fulfill the desires of our heart. He will often put the desires in our heart. And see, where we get into into trouble and where we struggle in life is we have these desires, but then we try to satisfy those desires on our own. Whether it comes to marriage Having children, whether it comes to ministry or a career, we have desires and we have these things that we want to see happen and we try to bring those to fruition. But what we see is Adam recognized his need. Adam felt the need, but he trusted God to fulfill the need. Can I tell you that there is nothing too hard for the Lord and that God desires to fulfill the longings of your heart and he wants to fulfill those desires, but we have to trust him and rely on him and depend on him and say, you know, I'm trusting that God is faithful and that he will meet the desires of my heart. And so I don't have to go and do it on my own. There's some needs that we have, and we can recognize those needs and do our part. But ultimately, the idea is dependence. I'm trusting the Lord. Adam was trusting the Lord, and God provided for him a wife. And so we have to recognize the need, but then we have to rely on God to meet that need. I love what the Bible says in Psalm 127, verse number one, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. And so we can try in our flesh, and we can try to do the best that we possibly can, and we can come up with a plan and a five-year plan and a ten-year plan, and we can figure out all the details in life. But except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so we have to depend on God. And so individualism, all about me, must be rejected. Here's the second point. Number two is this. God's design must be followed. God's design must be followed. How do you believe that if God designed in? came up with the idea of marriage, then we probably should follow God's design. How many of you believe that, right? And so God's design must be followed. Now, uh, God is going to show us his design in Genesis chapter two uh, for marriage. And I believe that whether you are married or not today, it is imperative for all of us to understand God's design in this and how uh, God intended for this to be. Tim Keller said this. He said, marriage has the power to set the course of your life as a whole. He says, if you can understand the concept of marriage and if you can determine to build a strong marriage, it can set the direction for your whole life. And so he says, if your marriage is strong, even if all the circumstances in your life around you are filled with trouble and weakness, it won't matter. You will be able to move out into the world, into the world in strength. And so he says, start with your marriage. Now, God is going to teach us three things about marriage here. And if you like to take notes and jot things down, I'm going to give you three subpoints today. Would that be all right? So God's going to teach us three things about marriage. First, God designed marriage for companionship. God designed marriage for companionship. At the end of verse number 20, the Bible says this, but for Adam, there was not found and help meet For him, And so that's why sometimes in Christian circles, we'll talk about the husband and the wife, and the wife is a a help meet, a help meet. And sometimes, you know, as a wife, you could think about that and think, well, that doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound super glamorous. You know, I'm the helper. But that's actually not the biblical teaching of the word help. In fact, if we were to recognize the biblical definition of the word help, we would realize it's actually a beautiful design that God intended. That same Hebrew word for help is used to describe God himself, that he is a very present help in time of trouble. That that, that God desires to uh, help us. In fact, the Hebrew word for help is the word Azer, and it talks about military reinforcements. That's the connotation, that reinforcements are going to come in. That's how God created marriage, to reinforce one another, to help one another. This is God's intention, and this is God's uh, design. So God created marriage for companionship. Uh, See, uh, God was not just addressing Adam's workload, Okay, It wasn't like Adam had a lot to do. He was naming the animals. He had a big garden to take care of, and he needed an assistant. And so God gave him a wife. That's not the idea. God recognized that Adam is a social being, a human being, that needs relationship and needs companionship, and so he provided for him a wife. And so God uh, designed marriage for companionship. Number two, under this, God designed marriage for completion. Completion. Verse 21 says this, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And so here God brings Adam into surgery. And that God is going to uh, perform some surgery on Adam. I'm thankful today that our God is the great physician. And if we are struggling with our health, that, that, that God knows exactly what we're going through, and He has the power to change our situation, and he has the power to heal. But I think it's interesting how God creates woman. He puts Adam through a painful moment. That's the very idea of surgery, right? It's painful. Adam undoubtedly woke up that next morning his side was hurting there was some pain there but God had purpose in his pain because the reason Adam had pain was so that God could give him a wife and I just want to encourage you today if you are experiencing pain in your relationships a struggle in your relationships if you are hurting on the inside God can use that hurt to ultimately bring about healing he can use that pain to bring about purpose because that's how he works. And so even when our relationships seem like they're broken and they're falling apart, God can mend those broken relationships. And so he puts Adam through surgery to, uh, give, uh, to give him a wife. Now, God creates woman from man. Why did he do it that way? I believe God did it to show Adam that his wife was a part of him, equal with him, not a lower creation. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.28, so ought men to love Their wives. All the men say love. Love. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. And he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And so we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a big assignment. That we're to love our wives like that. Matthew Henry said this. Speaking of God's design and and male and female and and, and husband and wife, he said, She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. This is God's design. Now, our culture today uh, is drifting from uh, all of these standards, and there's this heightened sense of awareness when it comes to gender in our society today. And uh, there's a lot of confusion, we know, surrounding this subject. But we have to understand and we have to recognize that the Bible says in Genesis 127, male and female created he them. Uh, That that is God's design. Now, that is not popular with culture, but we have to understand, are we aiming to please culture or are we aiming to please God? Are we aiming to just satisfy cultural uh, normatives, or are we looking to live our lives under the authority of God's word? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I have to say or what my feeling is or what I think. What does God say? What is God's design? And so God creates male. He creates female. He created husband. He created uh, wife. And in our culture, uh, gender is often viewed as competition. Men are better at this, and women are better at this, and women can't do this, and men can't do this. Uh, but God does not view gender as competition. God views gender as completion. Uh, that, that is his beautiful design. And, and so uh, God created woman because man was insufficient without her. Thomas Adams said this, as God by creation made two of one, so again by marriage he made one of This is God's design. So God uh, designed marriage for companionship. He designed marriage for completion. Here's a third component. God designed marriage for celebration. Everybody say celebrate. Celebrate. God wants there to be joy in the midst of our relationships. Now, notice verse number 23. Everybody with me? Verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, in English, we miss the emotion here, okay? When Adam says, this is now. Adam was excited. There's emotion here in the original language. He's saying, this is now, This is what I'm talking about. And it speaks to the real depth and maturity of men, that the first words ever recorded by man in the Bible are basically, she looks good. This is what I'm talking about. This was the emotion uh, that Adam had. Furthermore, verse number 23 in the original language is poetry. It's poetic in nature. Uh, There are syllables that flow together. And so when Adam says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, there is this two-beat rhythm here. And so Adam kind of just busts out into a song, right? He's so excited about this. He's like, this is what I'm talking about. And he says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There was this kind of a hip-hop song that just started, that just broke out of Adam. He was so excited. I love what the Bible says, though, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting, speaking of marriage, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Can I just tell you that when God is at the center of your relationship, then there will be joy in your relationship. When Jesus is at the center of your life, then he will provide joy in your life. And so often it's all about me or it's all about that, but if we make it all about Jesus, then we will experience joy and a peace that passes is all understanding there will be reason to celebrate God's design and God's plan is the best plan he says you want to experience true joy follow a biblical template a biblical model and see the culture has so many ideas today about the home and marriage but look at the statistics look at the is it working marriages are falling apart homes are falling apart and it's because we've drifted from God's word but if you want true joy A joy that is not contingent upon circumstances, a joy that you can have even when you're going through the most difficult season of your life, then put Jesus at the center. Adam here now celebrates, and there's joy in this relationship because it was done God's way. And so there is celebration when it comes to our relationships. By the way, uh, this uh, idea of joy in our relationships, it goes further than just the marriage relationship, uh, that there can be joy in all of our relationships. Uh, One of my favorite passages is where Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Thessalonica was the model church. They were the ones doing a great job. A lot of times Paul had to write to churches like Corinth, and they were doing a bad job, and he had to kind of correct them. But Thessalonica was doing a great job, and Paul said this to them. Everybody with me? He said in First Thessalonians 2 verse 18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul said, man, it was my desire to be with you, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Paul said, do you want to know what makes me excited, my hope and my joy and crown of rejoicing, what I'm most proud of? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul says, you want to know what gives me hope? You want to know what gives me purpose and joy? Uh, All of the people that I've seen come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of the people that I've seen God transform their lives. And God transform their marriages. And God raise up children for the glory of God. And what gives me hope and glory and joy is the thought of seeing us together with Jesus at his return that is my glory that is my joy that is my crown of rejoicing and as followers of jesus that should put in us some motivation what gives me purpose and joy and what's my crown of rejoicing seeing other people reach with the life-giving and life-changing message of jesus christ hey we ought to take the focus off self and onto other people and if we do that we will experience joy so often the reason we are lacking joy is because we're consumed with self But if we would start thinking about others, we would experience the joy that only God could give. And so number one, individualism must be avoided. Number two, God's design must be followed. Here's a third thought today. Number three is this. Autopilot must be disengaged. Autopilot must be disengaged. Now, we are living in a great day of technology where we have self-driving cars. In a few weeks ago, our family was on vacation, and we rented a car, and I didn't know it, but it was a self-driving car. And uh, it wasn't a completely self-driving car, but it could, on the freeway, if it started to drift a little bit, it kind of had that auto correct. How many of you know what I'm talking about, where uh, the car can just kind of drive by itself? It was pretty awesome, and the first time it happened, it kind of scared me. We were driving along, and and, uh, uh, I kind of went into the other lane a little bit, and it kind of brought me back. And I was like, what just happened? And I realized uh, what this car was capable of, and once I realized what it was capable of, I was having a lot of fun with that, right? Uh, we were driving and I was just like, watch this Luke and, uh, no hands, you know, and the car was just driving itself. And I was doing that throughout the drive. It was driving Katie nuts. She, she was getting so irritated. Please put your hands back on the wheel. Uh, but I just couldn't resist. The car could drive by itself. Like this is the Jetsons. This is amazing. And I was having a lot of fun with that. You know, um, uh, Uh, autopilot and and self-driving cars can actually uh, cause a lot of danger, right? We saw in the news, I think it was last year, where uh, this this guy was falling asleep while he was driving. It was a self-driving car. He was just sleeping on the freeway, and the car was just going on autopilot, right? I want you to know that when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our homes, autopilot must be disengaged. It's not going to happen by accident, Right, sometimes we can think, man, I wish my marriage was stronger and I wish I had more friends in life and I wish I just had a better community of people around me. Well, that takes great intentionality. It takes effort. In fact, I was reading some statistics recently where uh, they said that in America, 45% of adults say they find it difficult to make new friends. And on average, the average American has not made a new friend in the last five years. And the reason they stated and cited was because the effort it requires. And they said that it takes 50 hours to move from acquaintance to a casual friend. It takes 90 hours to move from casual friend to friend. It takes more than 200 hours before someone becomes a close friend. Now, I don't know about the accuracy of all those numbers, but I believe the point is true, that it takes time, it takes intentionality, it takes effort to have friends and relationships. The Bible says a man who wants friends must show himself friendly, right? It takes intentionality. Now, if we're going to fix our foundation and we're going to be serious about our homes and our marriages, we're going to close today by showing three ways that we must be intentional, all right? Three ways we must be intentional in our marriages. First, we have to strive towards loyalty. Strive towards loyalty. Notice verse number 24. Therefore, shall a man leave, everybody say leave, leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, this verse is interesting. It's somewhat of a commentary added by Moses because Adam didn't have a father and a mother to leave. So why would the Bible say this? It's showing us the pattern. It's showing us the template in setting the precedent of how a marriage should work. And it starts with loyalty that you leave father and mother. You leave father and mother to cleave unto the new relationship. See, marriage happens by severing one relationship to solidify another relationship and a lot of times the reason why marriages struggle especially in the early days is we have failed to sever that relationship and we have failed to uh, uh, leave one thing so that we could cleave unto another and so to have a strong and healthy marriage it starts with loyalty saying you know what my first priority now is my relationship with God and my relationship with my spouse this is priority now Okay, so so leave and then cleave. And so we have to strive towards loyalty. Secondly, we have to strive towards commitment. That's the idea of cleave. In fact, the word cleave means to cling to. It carries the idea of glue, adhesive coming together. It's kind of like if I were to have two pieces of paper this morning and I were to put glue all over one of the pieces of paper and then stick that other piece of paper on top of it, they would be stuck together, right? They would be cleaved together. They would be clinging together, uh, glued together. Now, could I take those two pieces of paper apart? Probably, but there'd be a lot of damage. There'd be some ripping and it wouldn't be complete. And see, this is why God has called marriage to be one man, one woman for a lifetime. To leave, to cleave, to have a lifetime of commitment and, and let no man, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Let no man divide that. So we leave and we cleave Together, And so a strong marriage, we must strive towards loyalty. We leave, we strive towards commitment, we cleave. But then here's the third thing. We strive towards intimacy. Notice verse 24. Cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were open and unashamed before each other. This is This is intimacy. And this is what our hearts truly long for see intimacy goes far beyond the physical act of sex intimacy is the ability to be honest and unguarded and open with nothing to hide in our relationships i'm not covering anything up i don't have to have multiple uh, cell phones and multiple accounts and i don't have to uh, be secretive with my text messages and i don't have to be secretive with my browsing history everything is open and honest that's intimacy that they were unashamed they were open and honest with one another. Wayne Mack, he's an author. He puts it this way. It is the type of relationship that is shared with no one else other than one's mate. It is a partnership in every area of life for as long as both partners live. In other words, there is absolutely nothing about which one spouse can say to another, that's none of your business. The wife has complete and unfettered access to every area of her husband's life. And so also the husband to every area of his wife's life. There are no locked doors or secret hiding places. Intimacy. Now, all of this, intimacy, commitment, loyalty, it all takes intentionality. Autopilot must be disengaged. If you want a strong marriage, it's not gonna happen by accident. If you want a strong family, if you want a powerhouse, it's not gonna happen by accident. Now, maybe you're here today and you have been seriously hurt in a relationship maybe you've been damaged, maybe someone uh, has hurt you, someone has wronged you, they've lied about you, maybe you are uh, divorced, maybe, maybe you have a relationship that has completely fallen apart and now you're, now you're guarded, now you're struggling with trust and maybe you've been hurt. And I would say to those of you that feel that way, there's good news for you. Because our God delights in mending broken relationships and he loves to bring healing to the brokenhearted. He specializes in providing hope when there seems to be no hope. The Bible puts it this way in Psalm 130, 147, verse number one Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcasts of Israel. All those that are on the outskirts that feel unlovable, all those that are out on the highways and hedges that are struggling, that feel like they don't belong, that feel like they have no place to fit in. He says he goes to the outcasts of Israel. He heals the broken in heart and he bindeth up their wounds. Is anybody thankful today that our God has a heart to heal and that our God has a heart to bring purpose in the midst of pain and that he loves us with an immeasurable love? Ultimately, our most important relationship is not horizontal. Our most important relationship in life is vertical. Our most important relationship is our relationship with God. Do you have a real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about parents. I'm not talking about family or friends. I'm not talking about an experience or a feeling. I'm talking about a real relationship. James two says this in verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham, he believed God, that's faith, and it was imputed, that's a legal term, talking about uh, an accounting term, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And so by faith, the righteousness of God can be placed on our account. And so when God looks at us, he does not see our sin, he sees the righteousness of God that's in our place. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Don't you love that? I wonder, could the same be said about your relationship with God? Abraham was a friend of God, he had a real relationship. Recently in the news there was, there's a man named Stephan Thomas and he is a computer programmer. And he's been the headlines because uh, back in 2011, he did this video on Bitcoin, kind of explaining Bitcoin. And so they awarded him $14,000 worth of Bitcoin and they gave it to him. And that same amount of Bitcoin today is worth over $400 million that he has, Stephen Thomas, all of this money. But the reason that he's in the news is because he can't remember the password to his account to access the Bitcoin. And he's tried eight different times, he's been unsuccessful. And if he tries two more times, he's permanently locked out forever, unable to access all of that treasure, all of that money. I want you to know today that the Bible says that Jesus is preparing a place for us and that there is a place for us that is far better than we could ever imagine. In fact, we have an inheritance that the Bible says is incorruptible. And the only way that we can access that inheritance is through God's son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only password for salvation. Jesus is the only way for salvation. It's not about being a good person. It's not about being religious. It's not about having some understanding. It's all about accepting the free gift of salvation. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus, and Jesus alone is our access to God. It's our access to heaven. So many people, I talked to someone this week who was heartbroken because they were trusting in religion and they were trusting in works and they came to the understanding that they were trusting the wrong thing because it's not about what we do. It's all about what God has done. He sent his only begotten son to live a perfectly sinless life, to go to the cross, to die on the cross in our place for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day so that we could have access to God, so that we could have access to heaven. That is the most important relationship that we can have. And today, if you don't know that you have that relationship, today can be the day of salvation for you. You can begin a relationship with God. You can leave this place like Abraham saying, I'm a friend of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.